Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Elvin Taylor. Welcome and thank you for joining us today. The next hour is devoted to learning something more, not just about the world of shoes and ships and sealing wax, but about how, what, and why we believe as we do. A time for the open-minded, willing to challenge some of those old ideas behind what we think we know, who we are, and who we might just become. I'm Eldon Taylor, and this is Provocative Enlightenment. All right. Our famous chat room is open and my famous partner, Ravinder, waits you there now. You can log on by going to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. Ravinder, tell us all about the chat room. Yeah, we have a famous chat room, actually. We have a really cool chat room and lots of uh, great conversation. And we would love to have you join us if you're in a position where you can. So if you can, go to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. Come and say hi. You don't have to, you know, actively participate throughout. You can just watch as stuff goes on if you like, or you can put questions forward in the chat room. We often get questions in the chat room. If you can't come online right now because you're driving or working or something like that, then you can always come back to the chat room later on if you want to check and see what we were talking about or if there are any links or references that you may have missed when it was on the air. So that is provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. See you there. All right. In this week's spotlight, I would like to discuss the capacity for deferred gratification. There's a genuinely tutorial study known as the Marshmallow Test conducted at Stanford University. In this study, young children were sat down in front of a fresh, large marshmallow. They were told that they could eat the marshmallow if they wanted, but if they waited until the researcher returned to the room, they could have two. The researcher would bring them a second marshmallow. They were also told that if they decided to eat the marshmallow before the researcher returned, to ring a bell and the researcher would immediately return, but they would not get a second marshmallow. As you might guess, many of the children ate the marshmallow right away. Some, however, may have touched it or smelled it or even tasted their fingers after touching it, but they held out and waited 15 minutes for the researcher to return. A follow-up study was conducted years later. What researchers found is most interesting. Children who ate the marshmallow right away had many more emotional problems than those who did not. Children who waited had SAT scores 200 points higher than those who were unwilling to defer their gratification. We live at a time when the desire for instant gratification is gaining strength everywhere, and deferred gratification may be something left only to the classroom. But is it? Colleges used to require deferring many forms of personal pleasure in favor of a long-term goal, but more and more colleges today use promotional brochures to attract students by emphasizing and selling the idea of fun, the social events, parties, food, drink, and more. So today, even college is less of a deferred gratification practice than, say, that of 30, 40, 50 years ago. We also live at a time when everything is basically disposable. 
we throw away things today that would never have been thrown away 50 years ago. Indeed, we buy disposable cameras, lighters, contact lenses, camcoders, plastic kitchen utensils, all sorts of items that we intend consciously to discard and very soon. Worse, most of these items have alternative uses and with a little creativity. Those uses can save us a lot of money. But the point is, we're not willing to defer our gratification even for money. So we discard and buy another. The mantra in politics for the past eight plus years has been change. And change is something we all say we want and we want it now. But the kind of change we are really seeking may take years to accomplish. And not many are willing to think in this way. My question, what are we giving up by choosing our marshmallows now? Your thoughts on this one, Ravinder? Oh, I think deferred gratification is an important sign of the times, a very significant sign of the times. Um, yeah, everybody wants everything right now. They don't have the patience to to work for something but then I was actually thinking more about your marshmallow story and when they touch their fingers or they touch the marshmallow and then lick their fingers I wonder how many SAT scores I would lose if I licked my finger then touch the marshmallow and then lick my finger because then I'd get even more of the sugar on my finger I'm not <laughs> sure that that's even <laughs> relevant but but all right we do live at a time when you know you look at your best-selling books as a case in point and most of them are telling you how you can have it, and you can have it right now, and you don't need to wait. And what's more, you don't really have to do anything. You can just visualize it. Just imagine it, and it'll just somehow magically appear. And I do think... It's dangerous, I think. It's a dangerous path to go down totally because, yeah, you have to put action behind what it is that you want to do. Things don't come easy. Well, I do believe we're giving up something, and it's a whole lot more than marshmallows. <laughs> okay, every week I read some of your letters as our way of involving you while paying respect to the very important role you play in making this show successful. Last week our guest was Professor Dick Swab, and we discussed his wonderful book, You Are Your Brain. David wrote, I loved your guest, Dr. Swab. It is refreshing to have someone who is an honest scientist. The stuff about the illusion of free will is disturbing, though. You know, I think, David, the key issue here is an understanding that it is your subconscious mind that is making the decisions. When you grasp this, then you have the opportunity to choose to reprogram your own subconscious, to re-engineer it so it makes the choices you would consciously make. This way you gain control of your own mind. Until you take this step and diligently work at it, you're the product of your programming whether it was during maturation, a part of your enculturation, or the 24-7 ceaseless bombardment of propaganda in one form or another. Dan wrote, I couldn't help but think of your book, Gotcha, Dr. Taylor, when I listened to Swab inform us that free will, in his words, is the grand illusion. Mary wrote, I think one of your catalogs years ago had the statement on the front cover, something like, the brain is the ultimate frontier. Dr. Schwab is certainly a pioneer of that frontier. You like this book, right, Ravinder? The book's amazing. Mm. I'm going through it right now. It's just chock-a-block full of information. 
Chocolate Great Water. interview, yeah. Okay. Mark wrote, he doesn't have to be religious to view the mind as something more than an illusion, an emergent property of the brain with its own characteristics. All right, last week's spotlight was all about ignorant confusion, and Kelly wrote, To begin with, Dr. Ellen Taylor, I would really like to thank you for your wonderful books. The first I read was What If, and I felt like it really changed me. It made me realize a lot of beliefs I used to hold were based on ignorant confusion. I was taught at school and at university the story of the earth being flat. I graduated in 1999 from high school. It is really interesting that a myth would be taught, and prior to reading your books, it would have surprised me. The memory is a very interesting thing when you can look back and remember being told these myths. How true that is, Kelly. How very, very true that is. Ravinder, 1999. That's not too long ago. It wasn't at all. And then taught again in university, what, 2002, 2003. I thought everybody by now knew that that was a myth. I know. That that, that one shocks me, actually. <laughs> Moving on, Delcourt wrote, I listened to one of your InterTalk programs last night, and it was really helpful. Thank you. Edwards posted, check out InterTalk by Dr. Ellen Taylor for how to program and reprogram yourself for life, health and wellness, prosperity, and success. His programs are very easy to use. They are patented and double-blind laboratory validated at places like Stanford University. And no, I do not work for him at all. I have bought and used many of the programs I endorse them because I know they work. I do not endorse any other brand of subliminal programs. There are lots of frauds out there. Well, thanks for the good words, sir. You uh, you need to get a hold of this guy. He's quite an ambassador. <laughs> yep, that would be a great idea. All right, that's all the time we're going to take for letters today. But I do invite you to opine by sending your comments to Eldon. That's E-L-D-O-N at EldonTaylor.com or by joining me on Facebook. And I want to thank all of you for your letters and comments. We truly do appreciate your feedback and support. Now to this week's show, The Coming Financial Crisis with John Truman Wolf. Think about the national debt. Harken back to the last housing bust. Maybe you remember Volcker raising the prime rate to 21.5%. Now imagine that these were minor hiccups compared to what might be coming. What's more... Our guess is the next financial crisis has actually been planned. Can that be possible? I mean, do you think possibly true? Enter today's guest, so let me tell you a little about him. John Truman Wolf is the creator and author of the award-winning Tom McKenna Private Eye series. In the nonfiction genre, his book Exposing the Real Forces Behind Global Financial Crisis became an Amazon bestseller. His latest release, The Coming Financial Crisis, A Look Behind the Wizard's Curtain, which we'll be discussing today, includes the expose of the source behind the global financial crisis, as well as their current agenda, now in full swing, to implement bail-in procedures by big banks that enable failing banks to confiscate your funds, the funds of the depositors, and convert them to bank stock. I, I'm going to pause here for a second because I, you know, I want to tell you that as far as I'm concerned, this book ought to be required reading. Um, you know, I have a son that just graduated with his degree in political science, and he thinks he's got a handle on, you know, 
uh, world affairs and financial matters and Dodd-Frank and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. I'll tell you, the expose in this book, if you have not read it, you are going to be blindsided by what's coming, by what's happening right now. And it's something that this election year has bearing on. So do please get this book, The Coming Financial Crisis, A Look Behind the Wizard's Curtain. Okay, John Truman Wolf is also the editor and publisher of The Hard Truth, an online investigative magazine that exposes government and corporate corruption and abuse. He's been a senior credit officer for two California banks, one in San Francisco Bay Area and the other in Beverly Hills. He is the co-founder of a prestigious Los Angeles-based business management company where he oversaw the business and financial affairs of some of the largest names in Hollywood. John has spoken to bankers and business executives around the world on the oppressive agenda of what he calls the global financial mafia and has provided solutions to their programs. Now, in reality, John Truman Wolf is the pen name of Mr. Bruce Wiseman, but since you will find his book under his pen name, we will use his pen name today. He's been with us before, so on that, let's get him back in here. Welcome to Provocative Enlightenment, Mr. John Truman Wolf. Hey, Eldon. Hi. Thanks for having me back. Ah, so our, it's indeed my pleasure. I told you the last time we talked, I had pages and pages and pages of additional questions that I had for you. So I've been really looking forward to this show. But, you know, before we get into that, I suppose, you know, I, I want to start with, I want to refresh a little bit of what we said so our, our listening audience, whether they heard the last show or didn't, they can be on the same page with us. So I have to ask you to begin with a $64,000 question. Why would anyone plan a financial crisis? And is the coming one really a planned event? Well, the answer to the first part of the question, or the first question, is this. The financial crisis, uh, jumping again to the second question, is planned, and it's planned for the reason that when uh, central banks or countries um, experience such a crisis, then the people that are causing it, and I know this sounds very conspiratorial, but we can get into the specifics, the people that are causing it gain more control. When you have countries that are um, in economic distress, uh, they turn to these international banking institutions and plead for loans. And, uh, Eldon, I have read the loan agreements between uh, the IMF and the World Bank and and, uh, countries around the world, and they would stand the hair up on the back of your neck. Uh, These agreements call for control of tax policies and family planning policies and agricultural policies and tax policies. And so uh, that's the purpose. The purpose, in a word, is control. Um, The rich get richer. The rest of us, we're just pawns in the game. They not, only, they not only get richer, they gain more control over the population uh, of the countries which they're controlling. All right. So now, those that are unfamiliar with the work, let's get a couple of things out of the way again. Who or what is the global mafia? Well, I refer to the global mafia. It's kind of a term. Uh, <laughs> I should probably see if that's available as a URL. Uh, 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 the global mafia starts with, or the godfather of the global, global mafia, is a bank in Basel, Switzerland, called the Bank for International Settlements. This is the central banker's central bank. 
Uh, every country has a central bank that prints its money and controls its interest rates. Uh, most of the listeners, I'm sure, are familiar with the United States Federal Reserve Bank, which is the central bank here. But there's a Bank of Canada, Bank of Italy, Bank of Japan, uh, Bank of Germany, etc. Uh, th- those central banks that control the economies of their countries are members of the Bank for International Settlements. And um, as a reminder or to refresh the folks that uh, may not, or to inform the folks that may not have been on the first show, the Bank for International Settlements in Basel, Switzerland, is immune from Swiss law. Um, its employees are immune from prosecution. Swiss law doesn't affect it. They have their own military uh, slash law enforcement on the property. They're above the law, Eldon. This is real stuff. Um, so they're at the top of the of the chain. Uh, going down from there a step or so is the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank. These are brothers slash sisters that are basically global predators whose purpose is to ensure that countries are in debt. That's their product, despite what their um, you know their mission statements say. Uh, and a step down from there, you'd find the European Central Bank and uh, the Federal Reserve Bank, which is the strongest of all the central banks. So the global mafia uh, organizationally is made up of those entities, uh, the individuals involved, uh, you know, I can talk about, but but that, those are the entities that make up that mafia. Okay, how does the G20 fit into this? That's a very good question. The G20 is basically the, um, and, and for listeners that aren't familiar with the G20, the G20 is the, finance ministers and treasury ministers of the 20 industrial nations of the world, and they meet annually. Uh, They basically execute uh, the plans and orders uh, of the Bank for International Settlement. Uh, When the G20 met in Brisbane um, last year, I think it was last November, uh, Brisbane, Australia, they... uh, made as official policy this bail-in policy, which you mentioned very quickly at the top of the introduction, which is the ability for failing banks to confiscate their depositors' money and convert it to bank stock. We can talk about that in in more detail, but that's a real thing. And so the G20 then uh, implements the policy. They're kind of the foot soldiers, so to speak. Okay, so now, in order for the bail-in to work, I mean, and the reason it exists, if I understand your book, this is really based on derivatives, uh, interest bets. Flesh that out for us. Sure, and you're absolutely correct. Um, Most people, well, let's go back a little bit. During the last financial crisis, uh, Warren Buffett referred to derivatives as uh, financial weapons of mass destruction. Right. and derivatives are securities that derive their value from some underlying asset. So as an example, um, in the 2008 financial crisis, the derivatives that were a, quote, problem were, were called mortgage-backed securities. These securities were basically packages of mortgages. So the derivative is the con is the package. It's not the mortgage itself. The mortgages are what have value because people pay their mortgages, and there's interest to be gained there. When they're packaged up into a uh, security, then that becomes a derivative. If you uh, bought a contract for the delivery of gold in six months, 
uh, that's a derivative. Those kinds of derivatives are basically harmless and do serve a purpose. But it's a derivative because the contract is just a contract. You don't own the gold until it's delivered. So that's what a derivative is. Now, the, there are 1.2 quadrillion, 15 zeros, Elton, wow. dollars worth of derivatives on the planet. And most of those are what are called interest rate swaps. And so we don't uh, have eyes clouding over. An interest rate swap, very simply, is basically a bet between uh, two banks or financial institutions on the direction of interest rates. So Bank of America says uh, the interest rate on, on Greek bonds is going to go down, and Deutsche Bank says they're going to go up, and they bet. And that bet becomes a derivative, and then people bet on that bet, and people bet on those bets, and there are bets on the bets on the bets, and there is this pyramid of, of casino-like, Vegas casino-like bets on the direction of interest rates. So there are about $750 trillion worth of derivatives uh, of the $1.2 quadrillion. Um, and uh, one doesn't have to look very hard to see why interest rates have been suppressed and held down, because if they go up, uh, banks are going to be slaughtered. The banks holding these derivatives are going to be slaughtered. And in this country, it's like the five big banks, the you know, B of A, J.P. Morgan Chase, Goldman, um, Wells, uh, banks of that nature, the, the so-called money center banks are the ones that are chock full of these derivatives. So the interest rate goes up. The banks are now, for all intent and purposes, insolvent. And as I understand, you know, of course, you know, we have, uh, as a government, we have passed some legislation. The taxpayers paid no attention to this legislation. They didn't catch the big picture. But the legislation essentially gives the bank the power to take your capital because you're an unsecured debtor and convert it to stock. So the money that you've been saving to put your child through college is suddenly not your money anymore. Is that right or wrong? It's exactly correct. Um, the uh, European Central Bank, Mario Draghi, who is the head of the European Central Bank, kind of the Darth Vader over there of, of uh, European finance, uh, formally uh, announced um, bail-in policy in Europe on January 1st. Uh, the first European bank was bailed in a few weeks ago. Uh, Canada implemented bail-in policy as a formal policy on March 22nd of this year. Uh, the FDIC uh, has issued a white paper on how bail-in procedure would work. They haven't, that's, they haven't done anything further than that. Uh, the question becomes, because your scenario is exactly correct, well, I've got FDIC insurance, won't I be protected? Uh, up to the amount of the insurance so that banks can't confiscate those deposits. And the answer is, I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> the reason yeah, is well, that's, that's, that, that's the, still a moving target. I mean, it could change tomorrow. I it, mean, it could change tomorrow. You're absolutely when, right. When you read your book, it looks like, you know, well, there'll be a new piece of legislation that will come just prior to that, so there'll be very little warning. That, that would be my guess. The FDIC white paper on this subject does not mention whether there is insurance coverage or not. Uh, so, uh, but the basic bail-in plan is is that banks get in trouble, uh, they get in financial trouble, and then per 
this policy and the legislation that you mentioned, they have the right to confiscate depositors' money and convert to bank stock. Um, as we talked about on the last show, most people that put money in the bank think that it's their money. Once the money goes into the bank, it is the bank's money, and the depositor, you and I, become unsecured creditors. The bank owes you the money, like you laid the carpet in the lobby, but it's the bank's money. Yeah, and I think that, you know, if, if you really understand that, that should scare a lot of people. One of the things I want to do in this show for sure, John, is I want to I want to speak to you about what the average person should, could possibly do and, and you know, how we should be looking at, at where we go from this. But we've got a hard break coming up. So still in the sense of definitions, to clear any ambiguities, the, the nature of the dollar and... Um, whether it is the common instrument used, uh, what we think of as the petrodollar, was started as the petrodollar, and its replacement by SDRs. I want to take that up after the break. I want you to tell us what an SDR is, where it came from, and what its role or importance will be as you see the unfolding of what's going to go on with the uh, dollar in our current uh, you know, debt load. We are speaking with Mr. John Truman Wolf about his work and informative book. And again, I'm going to tell you, go get this book, The Coming Financial Crisis. Okay, we have a video for you today featuring our desk just discussing derivatives and the next financial collapse. So you'll want to join Ravinder in the chat room and see this one. If you're listening on the dial, remember you can check the chat room out when you're next in front of your computer by going to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. We'll be right back. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment with Elton Taylor. Do you feel like you've become lost in the funhouse, only seeing the reflection of yourself, past, future, and present, but unable to find the real you? I invite you to step through the doorway and onto a pathway leading to understanding of your mind, your choices, and the influences that surround you. Read Eldon Taylor's New York Times bestselling book, Choices and Illusions. Now expanded, updated, and revised, it will provide you with real-life examples of how you can break free of your current perceptions and begin your journey to How High is Up. Get your copy today from all bookstores or online from Amazon.com or Barnes & Noble. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Alvin Taylor.
Welcome back. If you just joined us, we're chatting with Mr. John Truman Wolf about his new book, The Coming Financial Crisis. Now we ask our guests for their favorite music, music that has some genuine significance to them. Music psychology is not only a hobby of mine, but it's a field of research with practical relevance in many areas, including investigations of human aptitude, skill, intelligence, creativity, personality, social behavior, and so much more. So, all right, we just played some of Celine Dion performing My Heart Will Go On. So please tell us, John, why is this music important to you, and how does it instruct us about who you are? Well, uh, it's important just as a matter of aesthetics. I think it's just a magnificent piece of uh, music. This woman sings like an angel, Eldon. Uh, you know, her voice is uh, something extremely rare. Uh, in terms of why I like it, I'm so I just... In, in, enjoy the uh, the aesthetics of uh, listening to her sing. Now, uh, beyond that, um, the, you know, the message of the uh, lyrics is extremely spiritual, and um, so there is that aspect to it as well. Um, you know, it's it's a uh, obviously it's a you know it's a it's a love song, and uh, I'm a romantic at heart. You know, I've got that. You mentioned the top of the hour. I, you know, I've got a fiction series, and my def- my private eye, you know, has got a girlfriend here in Los Angeles. He's in San Francisco. She's in Los Angeles, and and always in the books, you know, they're having their <laughs> they're having their challenges. So um, uh, I think it's a beautiful piece of music. I think she sings magnificently, and I think it's a wonderful message. That's great, I, and, and I love your explanation. A spiritual component. Uh, that's a side of you that doesn't seem to come through in in your books. It doesn't come through in the detective books, I don't believe, and it doesn't come through in your financial books. Uh, do you hide that on purpose? <laughs> no, 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 but that's a good. It's a fair point. There's a there's a big difference between. You know, a, a person's spiritual love going across the ages and uh, the machinations of the global financial mafia. One is materialistic and one is uh, one is spiritual. Um, no, I, I, I write about, uh, you know, the, the financial things because it's important and these are matters of concern that I think people should be aware of. And um, you know, I will tell your readers, I, you know, I don't write like an economist. I, you know, I try to make uh, 
the information very understandable. But that, but that's written more from the viewpoint of uh, one, it's an area I understand, having been a banker, and and two, um, part of what I write about is to expose uh, uh, abuse and um, you know areas of corruption, and certainly international banking uh, ranks right at the top of that ladder. So uh, that's kind of the difference. And I think that's refreshing. I mean, the bottom line is, altogether too many of our spiritual gurus today want to put their head in the sand about what's really going on and just, in my view, you know, uh, meditate it away. All right, listen, the, the chat room was really busy uh, during the break, and uh, they were talking about what might be done, and some people were talking about, well, you know, put the money in the stocks or put the money in commodities Um, you're pretty straightforward in your book that the stocks and the market are controlled. Right or wrong, and why? How? Well, um, I I think there's no question that the equities markets are are controlled. Um, That information comes from a a book I I read many, many years ago, which has the corny title of um, How to Make the Stock Market Make Money for You, uh, written by a guy named Ted Warren, who has since passed on, uh, but I think the book is still available, I think. Um, but he basically uh, exposed the, how the market is, the equities markets and the commodities markets are, are manipulated. Um, and, you know, it's not just kind of theory. He gives you a bunch of examples. So I've kind of followed that for years. I've watched the markets based on that. And um, certainly in my mind, there's no, there's no question of that. And I, I don't think that's a smart place to get back to the point that you made earlier for people to put their money. That, at the very least, the markets are moved by uh, emotion. Um, I think in this day and age, particularly with the, we're in kind of a deflationary time, uh, Eldon, uh, that people should be very liquid to keep cash. Uh, during deflation, cash is king. Um, and while people often seek to increase you know, return on their dollars, uh, rule number one should be protect your principal. And uh, your dollars do get stronger, and your, inve- your investment of dollars get stronger as deflation goes forward. I'm also a strong proponent of precious metals. I think people should uh, have some you know, part of their reserves in uh, precious metals. I'm a, I'm a bigger fan of silver than I am of gold because I think there's more bang for the buck. But uh, I'm, I'm very, very conservative in this regard, given what I think is coming. So I encourage people to uh, stay liquid, cash, precious metals. Um, you know, and occasionally there's some good real estate. I don't know if we want to get into all that. But Okay, well, I think we do, but but before we do, you, the, the Dow today is 1866. I mean, that's an all-time high. Yeah. And you're saying it's driven by emotion. It's not a matter of, you know, the players behind the scene who know what's going on with the money market. No, no, I no. It is emotion can can move it, but it is uh, manipulated by by folks behind the scene. There's no reason in the world that the Dow should be at 18.6. I mean, none. Yeah, uh, I agree. If you look at the unemployment rates, if you look at the $20 trillion, virtually $20 trillion in national debt, if you look at the, um, uh, you know, the profits of corporations are going down, um, employment, uh, the employment figures are bogus. 
Um, as you probably know, and your listeners right. may well know, uh, those figures eliminate or do not count the people that have dropped out of the labor force, which is huge. Um, so the economy is not doing that well, and certainly corporate profits aren't doing that well. Um, what most people may or may not understand is is that uh, the Federal Reserve Bank is keeping those uh, the market high, uh, because that's what people look at in two ways. One, they're keeping interest rates down, so people buy stocks for dividends. But two, the Fed is buying stocks themselves. So uh, I just think it's too chancy. I think when the, this bubble breaks, uh, the market will, will fall. When that's going to happen, I don't have that crystal ball. Um, but I think it's uh, much too risky, and uh, these guys behind the scenes will pull this plug at some point. So I think people are better in, ca- in cash and precious metals. Okay, let me let me ask you this now, and and, and, and and I know this is a hot ball, or could be a bit of a hot ball, but you know we're looking at an election. We've seen two financial plans roll out by the two candidates. Uh, this election cycle, where do we go? I mean, you know. Who should we be looking at from a standpoint of the security of our investment, our economy? Well, <laughs> you're, I told you it's a hot ball. You're, you're right. You're right. It is a hot ball. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll say something that you, you know you may or may not uh, appreciate, and your listeners may or may not appreciate. But it's my view, and I'll give you an honest answer. I think this country has. Um, unfortunately deteriorated to the point that our candidates for the president of the United States are between a communist and a fascist. Um, I think uh, if you look at uh, uh, the, you know, the liberal side of the aisle, um, the, the deterioration of constitutional protections and liberties uh, have deteriorated uh, horribly, and their answer is more government, more government, more government, and government's the problem, it's not the solution. In, in, in terms of, uh, you know, Trump, um, you know, the guy can't not attack anybody who says anything to him. Um, it's just bizarre in the extreme. Um, and is there any of these, are there any of these third uh, party candidates that are going to make a difference, the Green Party or, or uh, Gary Johnson, the Libertarian Party? I don't think so. Uh, just looking at it practically, I hate to be a cynic, but that's that's yeah. my point of view. Relative to your question, which would be better for the economy? I think Trump, without question. I mean, the political stuff aside, um, uh, Hillary is all for Obamacare, which is the worst piece of legislation in the history of the American Republic, except the income tax, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and and uh, you know she'll push more of that. Uh, Trump at least is talking about uh, streamlining the tax code, and uh, which I think is a positive thing. Um, and he does have a business sense. I mean, his other his other uh, liabilities aside, he does have a business sense. So, strictly from the basis of the question that you asked, he, I think he would be better for the economy. All right. You know, I I somehow forgot to get back to what I promised I would ask you uh, when we came back from the break, and that's SDRs. Tell us about SDRs. What are they, and what is your prognosis with regard to the dollar and and how it relates to the $20 that we are national debt and uh, 
this whole bubble collapsing? Well, right now the dollar is strong and probably will remain relatively strong for a while. That's a short-term look. Is that Uh, because of Brexit in part? or? I'm sorry, say again? Is that because of Brexit in part? No, if you look at the graph uh, on it, Eldon, uh, clearly the value of the dollar has been manipulated. It had, it would, you know, decline for years. Then it had, uh, over the last couple of years, had a very strong run-up. It started to tip the other way. Uh, It's more a matter, it's not really fundamentals, um, uh, but it has held up reasonably strong. And it has been strong because, I mean, you mentioned uh, a, a while back the petrodollar, Um, And for folks that don't understand that term, the petrodollar comes from an agreement that um, basically Kissinger, as uh, Nixon's secretary of state, uh, negotiated with the the king of Saudi Arabia. When when Nixon closed the gold window, when Nixon said uh, that central banks uh, could no longer turn in dollars for gold, an arrangement that had been made at Bretton Woods at the end of the Second World War, uh, that arrangement was that any central bank could turn in dollars for gold, and that meant central banks had to hang on to dollars because they could get gold for them. It, we spent so much that uh, Charles de Gaulle and others started cashing in their dollars. Nixon said, okay, good, that's it, in 1971. Shortly thereafter, uh, Kissinger negotiated a deal with King Saud that said, uh, we'll protect your oil fields as long as you mandate that all oil need, needs to be purchased in dollars which kept an artificial demand for dollars. Uh, Saud agreed. He got the other OPEC members to agree. And for the last 40, whatever it's been, 40-some-odd years, um, 50 years, the dollar has been kept strong because central banks have kept it because they have to buy oil with it. Um, And that system is now coming apart, um, which we can touch on. But to to get to your question on uh, SDRs, SDR stands for Special Drawing Rights. That's what that acronym stands for. This is the currency of the International Monetary Fund. And if you go back to 1970, and these people, this global financial mafia, looks in long-term strategies. Uh, the big news, Zabrinsky, who was Jimmy Carter's uh, national security advisor, wrote a book um, in which he postulated and called for essentially a division of the planet into three operating systems uh, or areas. North America, represented by the dollar, European, represented by the euro, and Asia, represented by the the yuan or the uh, the yen or both. Um, And so, uh, and a couple of years later, he he called for a commission to do this. And a couple of years later, with David Rockefeller, he formed the Trilateral Commission. Um, and this entity still exists. And it is, um, you know, d- driven uh, by this view of a, of a, of a global world uh, in three parts with those three p- currencies. Now, what's that got to do with the SDR? The SDR, which is a fiat currency by the IMF, fiat means that there's no backing other than the government or the entity that issues it says that it's currency. That's, a fiat is just basically an order. All uh, currency is fiat, isn't it? I don't mean to interrupt you, but is there one that isn't? 
No, you're right. No, you're absolutely right. There is not one that isn't. They're all fiat currencies. There is no backing behind any currency on the planet other than what a government says, this is the currency of the country. Right. Um, the SDR is the fiat currency of the IMF, and it will be backed by, it is replacing slowly as we speak, the dollar as the reserve currency of the planet, as the dollar falls out of paper, uh, favor, as the petrodollar system collapses, uh, the SDR is slowly uh, becoming the global currency being held by central banks, backed by the dollar, the euro, and the yuan. Um, the idea here is that there will be a global currency. I don't mean to freak people out, but this will be a currency of which there is no national control. The United States, uh, Europe, Japan, Russia, whomever, won't have any uh, say on that currency. The IMF, this global financial mafia, the IMF and the Bank for International Settlements, will be able to dictate the value of the SDR. And that, in 25 words or more, is the game plan that sourced out of the Trilateral Commission with, with Brzezinski and Rockefeller. And for all intent and purposes, if they can control the value of the money and the flow of the money, they control the countries. That's exactly correct. And the and, and in this case, the planet. You're right. Yeah. And, and that's every single one of us. Okay, look, we don't have a lot of time. What do you do? What does the average person do, John? How do we know if our bank is safe? Uh, is there such a thing as a safe bank? Should we be in a savings and loan? I mean, do we put money in a shoebox and dig it up in our backyard? What do we do? Well, I think the first thing people should do is, uh, and I know this may sound a little, um, what, I don't know, old-fashioned or conspiratorial to people, but take some cash out of the bank and store it in a safe at home, at least a month's expenses. Take cash out. Because if this collapse comes, and it's not an if, it's a when to me, uh, I, th I think this is just an opinion, but I think there'll be a bank holiday. I think they'll close the banks for a period of time. I don't know, weeks, maybe, you know, some weeks at least, right. I think. That means you don't have access to your ATM, you don't have access to your credit card, so you should have some cash at home. You should also buy some gold and silver, uh, predominantly silver. Uh, so that you've got cash and precious metals. Um, you know, depending on how your reserves are, um, you know, if you've got enough assets to buy some, uh, you know, farmland or, or uh, food-producing land, I would do that. I think it makes, makes sense. If things go to hell in a handbasket, um, you know, things could devolve into a barter situation. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but I'm not discounting the possibility of it. But I think right. the average person, at least in terms of initial things, should have some cash at home, a minimum of a month's expenses. That's a minimum. Uh, and they should have some gold and silver. When you talk about gold and silver, you can buy that in all kinds of ways. Are you talking about buying it? You know, as coin or... Um... Yeah, bullion, bullion coin. I buy... Um, uh, the U.S. government prints, mints, rather, uh, silver eagles, which are one-ounce silver coins, and they mint gold eagles, which are one-ounce gold coins. Uh, if they're going to buy gold, I would buy... Uh, you, can, you can buy the gold eagles in fractions of an ounce like a half an ounce, a quarter of an mm -hmm. ounce, or a tenth of an ounce. Uh, 
and I would get the smaller ones because if you need to trade something, I mean, gold today is around $1,350. A tenth of an ounce would be 135 bucks. Um, there's a little premium there, but, you know, with, with a coin worth, you know, $1,300, you have a hard time buying gas or groceries. Uh, <laughs> silver eagles, on the other hand, are, you know, 20 bucks give or take, today. Um, and that's, they're much more exchangeable. So, yes, bullion coins, there are plenty of, you know, bullion dealers around. Um, you want to get somebody who's been in business for, you know, a long time, and, and uh, I, I think... You know, I've got so many more questions. I wanted to ask you about offshore banking, and on and on and on, but we, you know, I've got about one minute. So this is what I want to do with that minute. John, I want you to tell everybody how they can learn more about this, get your book, read your uh, online newsletter, and, and become more informed. Please take a minute and share that with us. Well, sure. Thank you uh, for the opportunity, Eldon. Yeah, the book is available at Amazon. Just put in uh, John Truman Wolf, and I've written several books. They're up there at Amazon. And uh, the book that we've been discussing is The Coming Financial Crisis. So John Truman Wolf with an E and uh, The Coming Financial Crisis. Um, and I also uh, write this uh, online uh, magazine, which is basically a newsletter now called The Hard Truth. Uh, that can be accessed at thehardtruthmag.com, thehardtruthmag.com. And I sell an annual subscription to that, and, and I write, uh, you know, a... a I'm sorry, John, we're out of time. Okay. The book again, The Coming Financial Crisis, and don't forget thehardtruth.com. I want to thank you, sir, for your willingness to share your work with us. We've come to the end of another episode of Provocative Enlightenment. I want to thank all of you out there for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed our show, learned something. We'll join us again next week, same time and same place. And do tell your friends. Let's have them join us as well. Okay, until next time, wherever you are in the world, remember... Believing in yourself always matters. Provocative Enlightenment has been brought to you by Progressive Awareness Research and other sponsors. Provocative Enlightenment is a syndicated show and appears on other networks. For a schedule of showtimes, visit ProvocativeEnlightenment.com. If you're interested in becoming a sponsor, write to Eldon at EldonTaylor.com.